Hello, everybody, and welcome back to AMTV Radio, the podcast where I'm joined by a very special guest each time, and we talk about, well, whatever we want to, quite frankly. And today, my special guest is someone who has made probably some of the most in-depth Doctor Who retrospectives I've ever seen on this platform. I'm joined by Richard from Clever Dick Films. How are you, mate? Thanks for coming on. I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's always a great honour. I am... Um... I was hoping to actually coincide this perhaps with with episode 11 of my review series, but unfortunately work has continuously interrupted my recording (laughs) schedule, so Ah. it's it's on its way. Well, not recording anymore, just editing, feverishly trying to edit. The real life. Well, that'll uh, already make some people excited because... I think I think people don't mind the fact that there's you know long gaps between uploads because they well they see your work as quality and I'm I'm one of them mm. but on on your channel as well um just to kick things off I suppose what made you want to well a start the channel but specifically start the Doctor Who retrospective series that you've been doing well um I'd wanted to do something related to film and media for a long time. I studied, uh, my undergraduate degree was in film and media production. So I originally wanted to work in film and TV. Um, and for many boring reasons that I won't go into, I didn't choose that as a long-term career. But I always intended to do something, preferably, uh, you know, some, I've, I, I was always interested ever since I was little in, in trying to do things myself, you know, try to be, have a have a finger in all the in all the pies in a kind of megalomaniacal way I think so uh, you know I like I like all the different aspects of any kind of production it was really the challenge to do that um when I w- I'm a teacher uh, by 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 day um and for the first 6 or 7 years or so of being a teacher I rather naively thought that uh, I would be able to balance these two these two objectives but it it didn't come about so uh, a a few years back now I took a step back from the level of responsibility that I had as a teacher so that freed up a little more free time and uh, that kind of coincided funnily enough with uh, uh, I've watched Doctor Who for as long as I can remember but obviously the DVDs were released in in a sort of ad hoc way you'd get a bit here and a bit there yeah uh, and I was buying them from from when they began so it, it got to the point I think this was about 2015 2016 that uh pretty much all the stories that were extant were available and I had enough money to finally fill in the gaps in my collection uh, and I thought well why not watch just for my own uh sad enjoyment why not watch all of Doctor Who in order from the beginning including listening to the off-air recordings of missing stories and looking at the telly snaps and things like that this is before they'd really started doing all the animations at the yeah beginning now. Mm. and uh, i i thought that well that would give me an interesting sort of perspective just as a as a fan as a viewer on what it would have been like to watch the show contemporaneously obviously i didn't watch an episode once a week because i i probably wouldn't have got i'd probably be up <laughs> to still be going now point, so yeah. i didn't quite i know some people do that though yeah um but it did give me some interesting sort of uh it challenged some of my sort of existent uh opinions and and ideas and and i just generally being someone who eats sleeps dreams doctor who i was going on uh, uh youtube and looking up videos that other people had done and when I did it, when I did that at the time, there didn't seem to be that many about that were sort of dedicated to uh, sort of giving production information about the program. There are a lot of opinion pieces, and that and that's fine. Although I disagreed with quite a lot of the, 
the sort of contro- controversial opinions that were going about, but I wanted something that was perhaps a little bit more affectionate. And then it just sort of occurred to me, well, why don't I just do it myself? So uh, I wasn't sure of all the ins and outs, things like copyright and all those kinds of things and whether it would be allowed, but I sort of knocked off a, an introductory, just off the top of my head, an introduction to a series that I hoped to do, which would sort of outline why I like Doctor Who and, and why... and and. It was really just an exercise in editing some clips together. I uploaded it to YouTube, and I thought, well, we'll see. You know, if maybe it won't be allowed. Maybe that's why I'm not seeing the kinds of documentaries that I wanted to see because the BBC wouldn't allow anyone to use all these clips. Uh, and I was right; they they don't. But they they were very. I mean, I wasn't actually in. Co- I've never been in contact with anyone from the BBC. But of course, every time I upload a video, there's a sort of a sword of Damocles that that hangs over it for a few days because it automatically gets flagged and blocked worldwide. The BBC are quite strict in that regard. I don't think every media company is automatically as strict as that, but they sort of automatically block it. And I thought, oh, well, that's that then. But I thought, well, I'll just I'll just appeal it, you know, because you can dispute the, the claim. And I said... I had no intentions of, of making any money out of it. It was just something for fun and for entertainment kind of thing. And so I appealed the the decision and said, look, I don't intend to make any money out of this. I'm happy for it to be unmonetizable um, because I didn't really want adverts and anything on there. Anyway, I've got a bit of a problem with advertising. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and the, the block lifted in the sense that they said okay it can be seen but you can't monetize it so I was happy with that and I thought right okay now let's get to work on the actual <laughs> series so and yeah and I've been been working I think this uh, three three and a bit years now I've been sort of yeah. doing it and it, I think that was what it was was it was partly a way of experimenting myself with the kinds of things that I could do from home um, with the equipment and software that I had and to really try and offer something that I think a lot of people might not ease because I felt that you know there must be some reason other than my own personal enjoyment that I've got all this stuff in my head I think it's the teacher in me that I feel like knowledge and and the joy of learning about something should be shared that sounds a little bit twee or, or idealistic but you know, I just I like I like sharing knowledge and I like learning new things. So I think that was partly what it, what it was about, really. No, I think it. I mean, and it comes across. Obviously, it's a very passionate project in the sense of how how in depth it is, but also I think how accessible it is. I mean, I watch it as someone who, well, by now has watched, as you say, like yourself, you know, everything that's available, animations and whatnot, and. You know, but I think for someone, I think in my head, if I showed this to someone who maybe, say, only knows the new series or has a fleeting knowledge of the classic series, they'd still be able to enjoy it. I, th- I, I think it's a very yeah. accessible series that you do. And I, I think well, that's good. I think why people, uh, part of the reason why I think people admire it so much is I know people, myself included, who have thought, oh, let's do a Doctor Who like brief history of or retrospective of. But then I think when you actually sit down and look at what there is, you're like, oh my God, there's so there's yeah, so much. Yeah. And then like I know I wanted to do it. I did a brief history series for a while and people were saying, oh, you know, do one on Doctor Who, do one on Doctor Who. And I'd be like, yeah, of course, I love <laughs> Doctor Who. And then I sat down and was like, right, yeah. So the Hartnell era, that'll be about 20 minutes. It's not really a brief <laughs> history anymore, is it? So, yeah, yeah I, no. think, it, I think... It has it's... been quite a mammoth project. Um, mm. and, I, and I like that. I'm someone who thinks quite in the long term. I'm quite a patient person. So, you know, I thought from the outset, you know, this is quite an ambitious project to do. But uh, 
I, I thought it would be uh, different in a way because it wasn't something that you can just sort of rattle off kind of thing. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of people are very... or not. I don't think people there's people are told when they go on YouTube start making channels that they've got to all be about you know get your content out do it quick and all that yeah. and I wanted something perhaps a little bit more uh I can't think of the word but a little bit more measured perhaps a little bit more um prepared I yeah. mean some people some people have criticized perhaps fairly in the past that the 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 vo- the scripts that I write are very uh they're not necessarily um, written to be spoken. They're more like something that has been written down. And right. and I get what they're saying because there are in there some very complex sentences that I go through which aren't necessarily easy on the ear. But I think that that's part, like it or not, I think that's part of the 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 USP, if you want to use horrible corporate phrases <laughs> like that for my, my channel, that it is a bit different. Although it is YouTube... Um, I didn't necessarily want to make something that was so obviously kind of home made. Yeah. You know, I wanted it to have an air of uh I can't think of words which don't sound that they're disparaging other people's and I don't I don't mean, but I, I you know, I've yeah. always tried to do it as professionally as possible, mm. partly as a as a way of saying, well, to myself, seeing what I could produce that yeah. would um you know, oh, and I think all I think all of your comments and views sort of stand by that on how people have reacted to it. And I think, as you say, having a as they say a USP or a unique selling point is is I mean it helps on YouTube definitely because it's, you could argue you know in the Doctor Who world like there's so it and it's great you know there's so many of us who dedicate videos mm. to Doctor Who and all the wonderful realms of it that some would argue now starting out you know say oh, I want to do Doctor Who but they say, oh, I don't know what I could do that stands out from X, Y, or Z. So I think the fact mm. that you found sort of your, if you like, niche in it or your passion project that you're driving forward, I think that's great because YouTube, I think, as as the years go on, I know it was different like 10 years ago, but as the years go on, I think it's harder to not only grow your audience but find your, your niche in a way that works with YouTube. So well, I think, oh, sorry. sorry. I, I think sometimes the... The emphasis for a lot of people uh, is this idea that if they start on on YouTube, they have to go full in and they have to get on every single social media platform and and promote themselves, which, Mm -hmm. you know, if you want to stand out from the crowd, I understand that. But sometimes the I think the motivation behind it is I want to be a professional YouTuber. I want to make lots of money. And they start off from the beginning. They want to look at all the tricks. How do I you know get the algorithm to promote my videos and and all this and and i think sometimes that's kind of running before you can walk i think you have to establish well, what are you yeah what is the content that you're making and then you know if that's something that people want then obviously there's going to be a demand from that it's like build it and they will come kind of yeah. thing so yeah. i do feel quite vindicated and and very um pleased that you know i haven't I haven't really compromised on those that original idea and you know lots of people have come and, and enjoyed what I've done and uh, and complimented me for that you know yeah so. I think as as you say like the YouTube eco cycle if you like sadly is very much placed on the algorithm as you say I think that mm. factor sort of pressurizes a lot of people as you say to make content fast keep getting it out there do mm. things that please the algorithm because I've always said this like YouTube seems to punish 
the more creative and unique you are, the more YouTube seems to punish you for it. It's like, as you say, if you yeah. use clips from the show, but in a in an interesting way, or if you use music, but it's not you're not doing it to make money. It's just to fit the scene or whatever you're doing. But YouTube's yeah. like, oh no, you you can't do that. Like <laughs> that's not allowed. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, it's not a, it's not a perfect system, and obviously, I understand. You know, there are some things that you need to do to kind of stand out. I mean, case in point, I I wasn't quite sure when I started my series exactly what it was. Yeah, was it going to be a review? Was it going to be a, a documentary? And it's kind of a bit of a a mix of things. So I called it review and analysis, but really, um, I don't think there's as much review as perhaps people expect. And I mm. I title it Doctor Who review in the title bar rather than on the program just because it then because i knew every title was going to be really long it wasn't necessarily going to fit it would just come up doctor who review for mm. all eight of them yeah and so I, I shortened it so could people could see so you know there are some things obviously that you need to do to kind of stand out a little bit but um i think that most people are sick and tired of although we still click on it i think people are sick and tired of clickbait and being yeah. tricked and there's just <laughs> yes, so much yeah. on social media that uh I think people sometimes feel it re more refreshing when they click on something and it is what it actually says it is. Yeah, I feel clickbait's <laughs> yeah. gone through a very like interesting phase because I, I think about I'd say like three four years ago was when it was like at its peak of you know people just putting anything mm. in their titles and thumbnails and just not addressing it. Then it went through this weird phase of you'd be like, oh look, a new doctor confirmed, big news. And you'd start the video mm. by going, oh, well, of course I don't know. Like, they'd try and satirize yeah, yeah. it. Like, oh, and that's how I get yeah. away with it, which doesn't work. <laughs> and and I think now what people are doing, which I think is fair enough, is I've noticed thumbnails or titles where they are, like, grabbing. You know, it's like, look at this. Mm. But they do actually address, you know, they've worded it in a clever way where they do address what is in the thumbnail. But it's nowhere near mm. as extreme as, like, look who the new Doctor is. And then just 10 yeah, minutes of yeah. someone going, well, I don't really know who the new Doctor is. It's just, you know. Well, it's something that's just become more and more common over the last few years, especially since print media is uh, is sort of on the way out and mm. and social media has to compete much more for people's attention. But the, the big problem that I have with any of that, and this applies to any kind of news, is, is that because people feel like they have to, they live in a world where they have to always be going at 200 miles a second, mm. that they will only read headlines and then they'll pass headlines off as facts. Yeah. And those headlines are usually there and misleading to try and get people to read the article, which then after three paragraphs of guff doesn't actually really tell you anything, <laughs> yeah. you know? And so, so I think part of, part of what I've sort of approached it with is not necessarily trying to grab people, but uh, you know, I, I felt that the, the program itself doctor who that is is mm. popular enough that there is an audience out there and you know if people find people will see something i've done at some point and uh, you know and if they feel that i've done it well then they'll subscribe and they'll come back so that's mm. really how it's gone really right. i mean obviously helps if you're looking at someone like tom baker mm. i mean that was the first video but up until then i had uh, two or three hundred subscribers i think which i was very happy with but i was about a year or so into having the channel so mm. it was still very much a kind of a I didn't feel obligated or anything to, to produce content. I was just doing this thing. And then suddenly I had two and a half thousand subscribers like, overnight when I uploaded the Tom <coughs> Baker one. Mm. So that just goes to show that, uh, 
you know, I, I'm I think the program is strong enough as it is yeah. for people to find the content without me having to try and trick people into watching my stuff. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's like you don't have to pick the most dramatic shot of Tom Baker ever to whack in your thumbnail to promote no. a, a retrospective. Yeah. It's not him falling <laughs> from the tower in Legopolis. And you're like, look, watch this, watch this now. But um, I notice yeah. in in those episodes that you do. As you say, the the focus is like, you know, you go through each era sort of establishing what was going on at the time, who the actors were, any big changes. But what I do like yeah. is out of all those stories, instead of necessarily going through every single story of whatever era it is, you sort of, you know, cherry pick particular stories. And I think the bit I like is you don't necessarily go for like, you know, all the the pop the popular stories. It's stories that you think offer something if if, if it's different or if you like mm. it for a specific reason because i think again when people see series where it's like let's talk about every episode of doctor whoever like especially newcomers are like oh god like what what is all yeah, this whereas yeah. i think your videos again it's like you know oh, if you want a good sixth doctor story for example here's x and if you want an interesting yeah. one here's y so w- w- was that a conscious choice when you started did you think oh, i'm not going to cover every story i'm just going to do certain ones or was it something you did as you developed it or i yeah i think um, I think what I intended to do, yeah, no, it was from the beginning, really. I think I thought, you know, I didn't want a lot of the, I mean, I don't know if I was looking the right places, but when I was looking at, at YouTube and looking for content for me as a viewer, there are a lot of videos of, there are a lot of watch mojo and top tens and things like that, which are not really my, my thing. Mm. Um, but there are also a lot of videos of people who'd filmed like their entire bookcase and they were going through each individual book naming them yeah. and I thought well you know that's nice you're sharing your, your passion you're showing these things but for me I, I knew those books I wanted to know what their opinion was and because they were looking at 200 or so that they'd collected on the shelf there wasn't enough time unless they'd done a nine hour video to go into <laughs> yeah. depth into any of them so I thought I always knew from the beginning like like you said when you were thinking about your your look back you know I wasn't going to be able to cover everything so I thought well you know, partly what this was about was about my thoughts and, and feelings watching it through again. So I thought, well, which, which you know, I'm going to zoom in on this story, uh, on a story, what what should I pick? And I thought, well, it would be the one that when I think of the, the era, um, it wouldn't necessarily be the best one, sure, you know, or, yeah. or have all the best bits in it, but one that would in some way typify or exemplify the the aspects that I enjoyed about that era um and so yeah I I sometimes I've consciously avoided a story which I feel has been discussed in depth a lot places elsewhere in order that I look at you know present something a little bit different to how like you say new viewers yeah will probably when everyone talks about Tom Baker they probably say right look at look at genesis the daleks which i did do it in the end but but that <laughs> i was think it's a because... hard one to skip over in that in that yeah sense, yeah, yeah i think it's very significant for the for the history of the show but say something like uh peter davison era i felt and always have felt that um uh that the one i chose is very sort of overlooked a lot of the times the visitation a lot yeah, of people yeah. um kind of disparage it or just say i i i've always enjoyed personally i think that sometimes there's ones which okay if you if you were to put it up um against other stories of the era um 
it might not be the best example, but for me personally, that's one that I enjoyed. So like, for example, in the video with Visitation, I said one of the reasons I like this so much is because of the historical period, um, but also because when I was at university, that was one of the only Doctor Who DVDs I took with me. Oh, okay. And I was... Um, I was very homesick in my first year at university, as many young students are, being very pampered and mollycoddled my whole life, moving <laughs> away from home for the first time. was yeah. quite. And I used to put that on, and it kind of made me feel much more homely and, and happy. And so it has a sort of special place in that regard, and I thought yeah. that that was worth pointing out. So, yeah, so I've chosen ones which I feel in some way exemplify the era and and what that had to offer whether that be an aspect of production or writing or of a performance or character i mean for example the two that i picked for tom baker pretty much was genesis of the daleks and pyramids of mars but i would argue that in both those stories tom baker isn't very typically tom baker you know he's yeah, very kind of yeah. solemn <laughs> he, he's not as flippant as something like City of Death, for example, where he's always <laughs> just off the wall. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And yeah. so, you know, I didn't necessarily, you know, I, it comes up through the writing, really, when I'm writing it. I think, uh, you know, which, which one do I think is really stand out? Yeah. Um, now that I've done uh, more and I've become, I think, better at doing the writing and the production side of it, I do look back at some of the early ones and think, well, I'd like to go back at some point and sort of add in a bit of detail, especially yeah. with the William Hartnell era about the origins of the programme. I felt I won't go into too much detail here because, yeah. you know, but now I feel that there's enough, uh, my pro my sort of series is established enough that I think that people will be more interested in some of the, the like the major origins i just sort of skip mm. straight to the casting of william hartnell and i feel i kind of did a disservice to a lot of the people who were involved um it's always the way isn't it like i think we all look back at as you say some of like our channel's early content and think oh either it's either oh god what is this this is horrible which <laughs> is my case filming on an old samsung phone with the light turned on and then <laughs> or or in your case as you say it's more like oh that that's good but i could have you know i could have done it better or i would do it better and i think like even now like i'm doing a series at the minute looking at the viewing figures history of doctor who but mm. with um but again, as you said about not just going story by story and going, look, this got X million viewers and next. It's like, mm. I want to know why, like the competition and the outside influences. Yeah, the context is very, very important. Exactly. I mean, a lot of people throw around now, uh, you know, current viewing figures as opposed to sort of viewing figures in Tenants era. And there's lots of factors oh, that absolutely. are in play there, apart from the fact that the way that we consume media and television in particular has completely changed and revolutionized since even just 10 years ago. Yeah. Now. I mean, I don't actually watch television that often myself. Me too. Um, but I do watch a lot of, of programming, which bef in other ways, you know, because a lot of people have smart TVs now, a lot of people are watching on demand and, yeah. and everything. And the way people, the expectations that people have towards television programs have changed yeah. a lot as well. So I think that very much underpins a lot of what I've tried to do in a way mm. because in my episodes I always try and contextualize some of the factors. I mean, um, I've always loved the the kind of uh, uh, I can't think of the word now, but the the, the, the budgetary aspects of sure. classic Who, which yeah. are obviously a a big thing. Probably more so when during the wilderness years that was kind of the stick that was always used to beat it with. Yeah. Um, but when you contextualise uh, how 
programs were made in the 60s and you actually look at uh, you compare it against its contemporaries i think that that's important to actually appreciating it just why i said i think you have to watch certainly hartnell era and to some extent troughton era as if you're watching in the mindset as if you're watching a stage play where you as an audience (laughs) are expected to use your imagination to some extent to make these things yeah because i i just remember it being a real kind of uh moment of a of, of epiphany in some way for me when i for years and years uh, back in the 30th anniversary i had the i got the dalek tin oh very set. nice yeah and uh, that had remembrance of the daleks in and the chase and uh, <laughs> i so remembrance of the daleks was one of my earliest stories it's my favorite dot two story but the chase i used to love all the time i love the the 60s aspect of it and uh, i mean it's very you know, it's, it I just reduces treat it as, the Daleks I just treat quite it as a, a comedy. I'm like, if I'm watching a comedy... Yeah, it is great, very much so, so. certainly, yeah. Um, but I always wondered watching... Um, I can't remember which episode it is now, but there's the episode towards the end where the Daleks have created an android doctor. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, in the scene where they release him from his thing that's created him, it comes out and it's not William Hartnell. <laughs> Yeah, and I always thought yeah. that there's a close-up of him where it is William Hartnell, but it's this other guy. And I thought, but William Hartnell's not in this scene, so why have they used this other actor? And for years I wondered about that, and then I remember reading, I think it was in Doctor Who magazine a few years later, that in those days, of course, they used to film the whole thing yeah. in one evening. They'd yeah. rehearse it all week, and they'd film it for a couple of hours, and they'd only have, I think, two recording breaks mm. in those times. So literally, as this... As this I always thought he looked a bit like Odo from Deep Space Nine, this <laughs> Dr. Odo, I called him, yeah. coming out of the, the machine. William Hartnell's, of course, the other side of the studio doing, you know, getting ready for his scene or finishing off his scene yeah. before they cut back and forth like they do with live television. And that really changed my perspective, I think, because we're, we're so used to sort of single camera sort of movie style production that when we look back at these old programs with, with you know, multi-camera setups and a live gallery editing and things like that we Mm. it's unfair to the program makers to judge it by the production necessities of the time you know absolutely i think the only thing in in the chase that makes that scene unintentionally funny not not the fact as you say i can accept that it's a different actor from william hartnell from the production standpoint but it's the poor fact when the poor guy steps out and that dalek says well like oh it is indistinguishable from the original it's like (laughs) the dalek could have said anything else in that scene (laughs) no that's definitely true i think I think Classic Who was littered with examples of where the writer's uh, ambition kind of was so obviously, you know, greater than what the programme could achieve, you know. Yeah. Um, but I think that's partly like, uh, I think that goes again with the theatrical aspect to it a little bit. Like, the, you oh, know, absolutely. if you tell the audience that, they're going to believe it to some extent. And uh, my favourite character in The Chase is the bit where they decided for some reason, because I think... One of the arguments about the Daleks, of course, is that they're all supposed to be this kind of homogenous, they're all exactly the same kind of mm. thing, they're all ranting and raving, and they believe this is pure because they're, they have no diversity whatsoever. Mm. And then, of course, they, they kind of undercut that somewhat in the sense that they thought, well, we want to have some different Daleks. So yes. there's the, there's, uh, the dumb Dalek, <laughs> when they're in their time machine, they've inexplicably got, he just goes, oh, um, yeah, uh, three uh, rels. <laughs> I, d- I think that may have been an improvisation on the part of one of the Dalek voice artists, but yeah. It... I think we I need think... to bring back Peter. Oh, who's Ed that not... character's story? 
Yeah, what, why is he like that? Yeah, I, I, want, dumb a return, Dalek, yeah. I want a return of the dumb Dalek in the new series. Just like <laughs> Jodie Whittaker's like, what are you doing here? He's like, um, uh, I, I don't really know. You know? So, that'd, be, that'd be such a curveball to people who don't know. They'd be like, what is going on? But, um, <laughs> the dumb Dalek. The yeah. dumb Dalek returns. Or it's um, another example that pops to mind is in Day of the Daleks. I mean those those voices and i know like you oh, know yeah. there was various things as you said various things going on at the time yeah. it's not necessarily the actor's fault but i said this the other no day one ever wrote down what the actual modulation was i think on the ring that's it and i so, think i was i was yeah. more surprised that no one like in the production thing like you know because everyone everyone watched it and i think you know even mm. by then in the early 70s you'd like to think most people knew a what a dalek looked like and what a dalek mm. sounded like so when mm. they're recording it and you hear this poor guy doing the whoever is operating <laughs> the time, you think no one's well, stopping. Well, I think to some extent there, you've got the aspect of, um, you know, that you, you couldn't just, you couldn't rewatch it. You know, there wasn't any home media True. and these things hadn't been repeated so much. So people, you know, they say, like John Nathan Turner used to say, the memory cheats to some extent. I think <laughs> yes. that people had a, a kind of... Uh, almost like a Mandela effect type memory of things. It's a little mm. bit like, uh, you know, there used to be the famous phrase of, um, oh, is that the one with the, the giant maggots and the demons yes. in yeah. it? You know, they've mixed up three or four different stories yeah. uh, in their memory. Uh, and I think the Dalek voices is one of them. I mean, to those of us that have heard them endlessly, I think it seems <laughs> kind of like that's the way to do it. Although it is quite quite tricky to some extent to get the intonation right, I think. Mm. Um, because when you do it just with your voice without the modulation, it just sounds weird. So a lot of yeah. people are obviously doing the impression of the voice with the modulation. And if you do that, it doesn't, when you then put the modulation on, it doesn't sound like a Dalek. It, it, yeah. it, it's incorrect. But it's a little bit like I've, I thought the same in, in 1996 when um, I think it was Jeffrey Sachs himself who does the. Dalek yes. voices at the beginning <laughs> when the master is exterminated and it's like they sound like they're on some sort of antidepressant something that's right they're like exterminate yes. and it, it it's not even robotic it's oh, I don't know you just think <laughs> how did he get to that age and he's actually making Doctor Who and you think well we need a Dalek voice mm. bearing in mind they'd already spent I can't remember how much it was now, but I said in my video, it was tens of thousands of dollars they paid to Terry Nation's estate just yeah. to mention Scaro and the Daleks and not even shown them. You would have thought that they would have got a sound clip from the BBC of what the actual voices were. Yeah. If they're only going to use Exterminate, yeah. I mean, even if they just use like a stock versions. clip, yeah, just throw in like yeah, exactly, a clip from yeah. Genesis or Remembrance. It's like, we wouldn't yeah. care, but... No, it's, yeah. it's one of those but, funny anomalies yeah. in the movie, isn't it? Because I think the movie yeah. gets... Like, when I first watched it, I was about 10, I think. And, you know, for, through the eyes of a 10-year-old, I had a great time. It's a fun action romp. And obviously mm. now you look back and, you know, it's it's the same old criticisms of, oh, it's too, it's too American and it's too this and mm. it's too that. But I still think it's fun for the most part. It's a very fun adventure. Yeah. Very McGann. When you hear, like, his big finish stuff and you watch that, I'm like, this is so McGann. Like, this is mm. so much his era. Well, he, I mean, he he's one of the... He just... He's immediately the Doctor, yeah, um, yeah, which is interesting considering that you know he was very unsure about it when he was first offered it, um, and and afterwards as well. You know, it took some persuading, I think, to get him back. Um, yeah, he's just it's just such a great piece of casting, I think, to get Paul McGann. I think without him, the film would be a lot more 
there'd be a lot more effort to want to forget it yeah uh, and see it yeah. as some and sort he's just of spin-off so, he's so a bit like the Peter Cushing films mm. yeah which are great as well but um, yeah. i think the the uh the wilderness years episode that you did was actually probably my favorite episode of your series so oh. far just because of course it is <laughs> this it's this uh, like black period of doctor who that either mm. like you were you were there and you experienced mm. it or you weren't there and you hear people say, ooh, the wilderness years when there were all these <laughs> like edgy books and all these like fan film <laughs> projects. And like I've I've not like I've not managed to experience any, like all of the wilderness years media and like the new the Virgin books and all that sort of stuff. But from Take, what I have seen Oh yeah. I mean it's expensive as well. I don't know if you've seen on eBay some of those Absolutely. books, they're they're running for High prices. Oh, yeah. now. Well, I'm very lucky to have a full set of the <laughs> adventures novels, including Long Barrow and The Dying Days, which I got. They weren't cheap when I got them, mm. but they're a hell of a lot cheaper than they go for these days. Yeah. Well, that if... just shows how that mystery. I think that's one of the things that I always loved about Doctor Who because I came to Doctor Who and became a Doctor Who fan in that Wilderness Years period. Yeah. Um, there was that joy of discovery and that mystery of all this lore and all these missing episodes and yeah. all these books and stories uh, and developing continuity and canon and all those kinds of things that that really drove it. I think ironically, it's ironically named, although it's the wilderness years, there was probably more content and more kind of creative <laughs> efforts going on during that period than than at any time, even today, even in the tenant era, you know, where there was this merchandising blitz on everything, but it was all very, it was all BBC branded official, whereas there was just this, because no one really cared that much about Dot 2. I mean, mm. BBC still would gladly take the money for the videos <laughs> oh, of that whilst bad-mouthing <laughs> it all the time. Yeah. Um, and they would be protective of that copyright. There was, there was less... Uh, it was less fervent of protecting the brand because they didn't think, well, we don't need to worry about the brand in some way being negatively affected in the public's eyes because everyone thinks it's rubbish anyway. Yeah. And that led to a lot of crap, arguably. But also there was a lot of really great stuff because the floodgates just sort of opened. And then you had people like Peter Darville Evans, who was the, the editor of the Virgin Range, just saying, you know, anyone send me a send me a uh you know a, a synopsis of a book you want to write and we'll yeah. see about doing it and there's some absolutely outstanding mean, human nature by paul oh, Carnell, of course, which of course yeah. then went on you know none of that would have come about if if that hadn't happened yeah. so it was an interesting era to live through i was very young um and i was sort of discovering doctor who but it meant that uh in a way my my childhood of doctor who was very much um you know, it's all out there. It wasn't mm. like I was sort of tuning in for series weekly and, and watching it and following it. My my experience was very much get Doctor Who magazine and then from there springboard into this whole universe. So that's one of the reasons why for me the the announcement of a new doctor or, or the, the, the leaving or of a companion and, and things like that is something that isn't too shocking or, or upsetting for me. I don't have to adjust the same because for me Doctor Who was seven and eight uh, characters. Yeah. Um, and I could zip back and forth between different eras whenever I wanted. So it's always been this kind of constant, in a very Doctor Who timey-wimey way, <laughs> oh, yeah. all these time streams are sort of running uh, in some sort of synchronicity at the same time for me. So yeah. That's so fascinating, though, as you say, like coming into it in the wilderness years, because as you say, I guess there was no one concrete doctor aside from the night McGann did it on tv whereas you know for mm. me i i started with 
Christopher Eccleston. And I'll, and like people say it's weird when I say this now, but of course when I watched that, like I I didn't know what Doctor Who was before that at all. Like I don't think mm. I even knew what a Dalek or a TARDIS was because you know in the early two thousands mm. I'd argue. In the mainstream, I know Big Finish were well at work and all that sort of stuff, but I think in the mainstream eye, the early 2000s was Doctor Who's lowest point of it. There were parodies here and there, but you yeah. know, they were like late night shows and things like that. So after yeah. my dad said, oh, this is coming back, you'll like this, and he sat me down, and yeah, I loved it. But I always remember, you know, <laughs> David Tennant appears, and naturally I went, who's this? I was like, "What? what's yeah. going on? And then learning about regeneration and the fact that, that what there were eight other people who who did yeah. this before and then as a nine-year-old i think that's the best time as a kid to get into the classic series now you know when you're young and you're like what there's there's so many more adventures yeah. with different doctors yeah. that's incredible and i think as a result i don't view like i think when i, I notice when like adults get into the classic series now as adults do it's with that you know sort of cynical critical eye like oh this is a bit wobbly and it's a bit stilted Mm. whereas my first one was the three doctors when i was nine and yeah you can look at the three doctors now and be like yeah the gel guards look a bit wobbly and (laughs) this is a bit this and this is a bit that but as a nine-year-old i was so hooked you know on this idea of them going to this black hole world and omega being this big time lord even though his mask is probably made out of like polished you know plastic (laughs) or whatever i think that's the best time because kids you know your imagination just goes but that goes back exactly to what i was saying i think that when when you're a child as well it is much easier to to allow that into your imagination to suspend your disbelief and the cynicism that comes later i think that's that's one of the problems sometimes i have with um with a lot of the the media on social media sort of response and things like that, is that a lot of young people these days, the main way that they consume information is through social media. And so I see even kids that I teach sometimes is that there, there's that kind of adult cynicism. And I kind of um, regret in some way that, uh, that you, you know, it, it's almost like you, people then look, they watch something, they look straight at social media to then find out what their opinion should be of something, you know, and I think there should be that flight of fancy that I might take it, own it, you might like it, might not, but but don't do what, what I do, which is analyse it in some way, because all of that really is complete nonsense, beside the point of it is that that moment, like you say, of sitting there and watching and discovering it and and being uh, enthused by it and wanting to go and learn more because that's what I love about Doctor Who is that, um, for me, it's never been something that I just sort of passively consume as a form of entertainment. You know, it's something that has had a massive impact on my uh, views on life, my personality, but also on my education. You know, I learn all the time when I do quizzes and general knowledge things, especially under the current circumstance, we have like a pub quiz type thing in the evening with friends over social media, you know, and uh, there'll be a question about, um, you know, why did the Huguenots or something flee France in in this period? And I'll know because I've listened to the massacre of St. Bartholomew's (laughs) Eve or something like that. And then I've gone because of that. I've then said, well, I want to learn more about that. So I go look it up in a history book or something like that. So, you know, I think sometimes that bit's forgotten. Um, that's one of the reasons why I love Doctor Who, because it is, you know, it's created, as many BBC programmes are, not purely as a piece of entertainment, but as a piece to educate yeah. the nation, which you know, sometimes is seen as quite a condescending thing that these, you know, media masters are there to teach us how to talk properly and all those kinds of things. But, you know, there is a lot of value in that. I mean, you see, like, the BBC currently 
um, pledging to create all this programming to support the education of young people while they're remote learning. And yeah. I think Doctor Who has a place within that, mm. you know, of 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 uh, of educating and and enthusing and you know saying you know if you'd like to learn more about this, why not go here and yeah. And, you know, I really want. It's like when they did back. that game a few years ago, the the adventure game. Uh, oh yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, about um, they did they did the first sort of four episodes, and then they did a follow up series, which was all about Rutans and Sontarans in, during the uh, the Houses of Parliament, Guy Fawkes, and all yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. And uh, they did that with a whole raft of things that could be used in schools to educate young people about that historical period and that's one of the things that i think is just really great about doctor who to some extent like star trek as well you know a lot of people in america who work for nasa and stuff have said i work for nasa because i used to watch star trek the next generation when i was a kid and that enthused yeah. me into science and space travel and the possibilities i think that um you know these imaginative sort of adventures are something that then we take and uh make it part of our life and make it part of reality in some way so you know that's yeah one of the reasons why it's so great to encounter these things just without any other people and something just encounter it and explore it and and take that as a springboard into other things yeah because I, I remember it works both ways because when i started getting into classic who and then gradually starting to you know use the internet as a uh, teenager if you like and before I'd watch certain stories, there's, you know, for some stories, there's uh, fan opinions of like, this is a brilliant story and this is an mm. awful story. Mm. So I remember mm. before watching The Twin Dilemma, which I actually think is all right. I don't mind it. But, um, you know, before you go into it, you read up on it and everyone's like, this is terrible. This is the worst episode mm. Doctor ever had. Blah, blah, blah. It's all terrible. So it sort of, I think, subconsciously does affect you as a kid before you watch it, thinking, right, yeah. this is the Doctor episode I'm going to watch. And I need to come away thinking this is bad. And I watched it and I was like, well, mm. you know, there's things that aren't great, but it's not, you know, it's not unwatchable. It's not the worst thing no. in the world. So, but no. I think, as you say, it's back to that thing of people leaning into a certain opinion rather than thinking, yeah. well, the majority might think this, but I think this. Well, I think we're social animals, aren't we? And we look to others to to how we should behave and how we should uh, be and, and and how we should fit in and things like that. Um I had the benefit, if you want to call it that, of when I was young, uh, uh, I didn't have, like, I didn't go to conventions. I didn't, I mean, those things were around, but they weren't as obviously advertised. I wasn't part of a of a nerd group at school or anything. Like, fortunately, you get those kind of, you know, things are much more sociable now. People share their interests, their ideas. I was very much... Uh, you know, an individual who enjoyed this old program that I watched on UK Gold, and no one in my school had. Some of them had never heard. Well, I think I was the generation where I think everyone had heard of it, but very few of them had ever seen it, um, and certainly wouldn't be interested in watching it. Um, and so, for me, Doctor Who was very much something that I enjoyed in isolation. You know. Uh, or me and my best friend, but very much I sort of imposed it on him, I think, which I said, right, we're watching this now, put the tape on and we'd enjoy it together. But the, it wasn't a kind of a, a social thing. So uh, all the stories of the classic era that I saw, I saw without much uh, of an influence on what I should think or shouldn't think. And so I think that led to me, like we were saying earlier about the, the, the programmes that I chose uh, to feature in my episodes. When I came to learn more about them in the modern day through different media i was surprised sometimes that people would 
would hate. I'm still surprised that people don't like the visitation, for example. I think yeah, it's a fantastic yeah. Fifth Doctor story. I know some. I know some of the arguments is it's a bit kind of paint by numbers. It's the '80s production team going, right? We're going to make Doctor Who the way that people think it should be. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, I think it's really good. You know, and and everything has everything has downsides and everything has good sides to some extent and i think that part of the problem with a lot of discourse at the moment is that everything has to either be bad yeah or good it's one of two extremes uh, there's no middle ground exactly and it's like the twin dilemma like it's bad why <laughs> yeah. because of the Sylvester twins because of the dialogue and stuff yeah but i think colin baker gives a really good performance yeah. Yeah. albeit arguably a course of an incarnation of the doc doing things that don't really fit with his character and there's not really a payoff it's kind of forgotten about later on uh and so you're kind of left with it is he good now was that just a fleeting thing and yeah you know uh but still you know there are there are some really good aspects to that i mean if you compare that i'd rather watch the twin dilemma than say uh warriors of the deep for example and <laughs> again that, that has night, some good aspects <laughs> yeah i think when i rewatched, it has that, great aspects yeah i haven't watched it in quite a long time and i do remember going into it i was like this is the story that was most affected by the uh snap election of 1983 thanks thanks maggie um but um, <laughs> and you know you watch it and i think there is a really good story in there in my opinion like in terms of when you're listening to what they're talking about and what the stakes are it is just mm. let down by the fact the doors are made of what look like yeah. foam and the slithery not the slither the murker is murker, the murker. Yeah. and uh, but i read the <laughs> i read the target novel last year and that the novel is so good because obviously it has lim- no limitations to flesh mm. out its ideas and you get running commentaries on what like the silurian leaders thinking about doing this does he have doubts about doing it whereas in the tv mm. show it's all sort of wrapped up in five minutes but mm. Mm. yeah it goes back to that thing i think we said people say oh warriors of the deep is bad because it looks bad and it's a bit the monsters are bland and it's like yeah but did you you know did you know that there was industrial uh, not distraction but you know production issues yeah, and all that yeah, sort all of these stuff. aspects yeah i mean the murka was still the paint wasn't dry yeah. when they were filming and and you know it's very overlit and stuff but there's some there's some good stuff in that i've always actually found the bit where the doctor gets knocked off the balcony and falls in the water oh, i yeah. actually think that's a pretty good pretty good dummy you know considering what it could have looked like it's not too bad and the swimming through the bit i think that's quite good the film part there i like some of the model work it's very kind of stingray but it's it's pretty good you know there there are some good i like the design of both the well i like the silurians are okay um I really like the design of the Sea Devils, but obviously they didn't think about how heavy the helmets would be, what they put on, because they're always yeah. walking along with their heads on the sides. Yeah. You know, there there are there is some really good stuff in there. You know, but still, you know that that's the thing is that there there's elements that are good, there's elements that are not so good, and that's part of enjoying, I think, the classic era of Doctor Who. Yeah. But uh, you know, um, the same could be said about you know when we look back now at. Uh, at the Eccleston era or the Tennant era, you know, I mean, the the amount of time that's passed since Christopher Eccleston's era to us now is the same as if we were watching, say, uh, well, to some extent, something like a City of Death, yeah, in Tom Baker's era, and thinking back to Unearthly Child. That's the kind of time that's 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 spread, and there are production aspects which we didn't notice at the time. Mm. Uh, that now stand out to us. I mean, when you compare, say, the cinematography and the lighting oh, yeah, of, say, yeah. Rose with um, 
Revolution of the Daleks, for example, this is miles ahead in the sense of the production. Yeah, um, or the famous light you know, switch so... in The Unquiet Dead that's just on, I think it's, they're running through a door, and, the, and obviously, you know, Victorian era, but there's just the casual yeah, yeah. light switch on the little Little continuity thing. Little continuity, yeah, yeah. but um, I think what I'll miss the most on that sense of you say about enjoying Doctor Who in all its forms is, I think, for me, you know, when I got into it, I'd say between the ages of nine and 12, so Christopher Eccleston's season and David Tennant's time, those were the times when I could just watch it, you know, have really mm. good fun with it, no matter what the episode was or what it's about, and go into school the next day and be like, and we would all be like, wow, wasn't, you know, that was great because of this happened and this happened. And I still have fun with it now. Like Jodie's era is, you know, it's not perfect. No era is, I think, but I have a yeah. lot of fun with it. I'd say it's the closest I've come to having, you know, that sort of as much pure unbridled enjoyment of it since I was a yeah. kid. Because I think the Stephen Moffat era, whilst it is very good and has its strengths, you know, teenager, very getting very cynical and very like, oh, I could, I could do this better, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that was the that's the purest time I think when you first get into it as a as a kid when you can just watch it without sort of any cynical filters on it and just enjoy it for what it mm. for what it is a romp through time yeah and, and i'm envious of that as well because i never really had that that course, shared experience yeah. so i think the closest that came to it was the paul mcgann film mm. um and i remember talking to my friend at the time about it when i was in middle school because i was 11 or 12 when the paul mcgann film came out um mm. And so there was that sense of it, but it kind of it came and it went, and there wasn't that that weekly sense of people watching it. And certainly, if I'd gone into school in my high school and gone, "Oh, I watched Doctor Who yesterday," no one would have shared the joy yeah. of this, <laughs> this fact. I think that's one of the great things. I was talking to who I was talking to about this recently, but um, the one of the things that I I'm really pleased with is how culturally we have changed a lot in the last 20 years really and how we uh you know how popular things that previously were seen as cult you know everything yeah. was labeled as cult back in the 90s especially mm. things like Doctor Who and not only have people got that community now the people who are outside of those groups don't feel so emboldened to be so disparaging towards those of us that do enjoy these things and are, are quite proud of our enjoyment of it. Yeah. And I think sometimes that that's a context that's important for a lot of people these days. I wish they could remember what it was like to be to feel that you had to be ashamed of yeah. those things that you enjoyed. I mean, yeah. I, I'm not someone who... Uh, I wouldn't mind now so much, but something like cosplay or something never really appealed to me because it kind of get it went against a kind of a defense mechanism, sure. that was sort of inculcated in me of, you know, don't look like an anorak as we yeah, used to be called as in they those said, days. Yeah. You know, don't don't look like a nutter because you yeah. will be. Not that I was particularly bullied or, or or was afraid of that, fortunately, but there was always that. And that idea that it wasn't it wasn't a done thing to be extrovert about your your interests. Yeah, uh, I mean, and I, I don't felt think Michael that pretty Grade much my whole that. life. Yeah, because there's no, that famous it, clip the of thing. him on Room One Hundred and One, isn't there? Saying, "Oh yeah, the yeah, NHS yeah. glasses, the national health glasses." Yeah, 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 yeah. But that that was it. That was it. It was perfectly acceptable. Um, and I don't want to make it sound like it was some sort of like my, like actual like minority some yeah, sort of, yeah, um, of course, yeah. discrimination because you know it wasn't to that extent but what i'm saying is is that you you felt uncomfortable for enjoying the things that you that you 
that you liked and it did yeah. sometimes mean that uh you know and so that that's something that i think people it annoys me sometimes when people are so critical of of modern sci-fi in general mm. um and and i'm not saying you can't be critical of course one can um but it's the kind of entitlement you think well you know, you you are to some extent very very fortunate to have the the programs that you do, and and you should look sometimes for a little bit more balance. You know, yeah, just you should value it a bit higher than perhaps you do because people are very dismissive yeah. of things that people have put a lot of work into, and they don't really seem to show that same consideration of that. You know, it's going back to that whole context is important. You know, because I remember mm. when. I say, remember when it happened a week ago, that when these rumors of Jodie leaving started, you know, and I saw some people saying, oh, but, you know, she's given up early. She hasn't done many episodes and stuff. But then it's like, <laughs> you know, filming a season takes nine months a year. And then when they're probably not filming, they've got to promote it, do interviews. So Doctor Who's basically probably been her life as an actor for the past three yeah. years, like on, well, on the solid. And, yeah. yeah. And as an actor, like, and as an actor myself, like I get it. If she won, if she, obviously we don't, at the time of recording, we don't know. I'll preface that now. Yeah. We don't know at the time of recording, but if she did leave as an, from an actor's standpoint, I wouldn't blame her because, you know, if you do three years of one role, that's, you know, it's a, as you say, it's all consuming. And as an actor, you always well, want to do same, other things. It's the same as Troughton. Yeah. It's the same as Peter Davison. It's the same length as, uh, Capaldi, Matt Smith. It's the same length. Obviously, it's not necessarily the same number of episodes because there's other production issues to consider. I think the reason why people might be surprised a little bit is because um, the the 13th Doctor hasn't had as much of an opportunity to really uh, develop in the same way that Peter Davison's Doctor did. You know, he had three companions. He had longer stories, more episodes. Um but it was the same that I think there's a reason why, and it's not just Robert Holmes' script, that the fifth Doctor is so much more interesting and more successful and effective, and Peter Davison felt that as well, in case of Androzani, compared to the rest of his time. And he actually said, quite famously, you know, if I should have stayed another year. Um, so, you know, I think that uh, this this coming season is a great opportunity for them to to develop the Doctor a little bit more. Not even develop, because the, the, Tom Baker quite famously said about um, the the Doctor isn't a character like, like normal. It isn't an acting part, because the, the character can't develop. He has to be the hero. Um, and, you know, to some extent, that's changed some of the way that the modern show was written. Like, for example, he says he can't fall in love. He doesn't have those kinds of emotions, which, yeah, of course, well. the Doctor has <laughs> since shown that they do. But, um, yeah, it, it, the Doctor very much is the incarnation, isn't supposed, someone who's supposed to go through massive, tumultuous changes. I think that people see the Tenant era as the template for how all of Doctor Who should be. Uh, whereas actually, and something that I want to kind of draw attention to in this, this latest video I'm working on, is that in some ways that era is kind of experimental for the template of Doctor Who. Um, you know, the idea of him being... You know, incredibly. Sometimes I, I, it might be slightly controversial. I, I am being quite positive about that era, as always. But I do. There are some points that I want to make that I think people overlook sometimes of how uh, megalomaniacal that Doctor is and how reckless he can be. 
uh, from his beginning, you know, uh, uh, you know, even before we get to the waters of Mars and his kind of Time Lord Victorious kind of thing, even before then, there's some there's some worrying trends in his character, which I don't think were entirely addressed um, going forward. But that was very much unusual, um, the development of his character. No, absolutely. And I think a, a reason, as you say, why a lot of people think, uh, you know, that sort of style and template is what Doctor Who should be is because obviously David Tennant's era was sort of the explosion of it mm. back in the mainstream. I mean, that was the peak of going back to like being in school. That was the time in school where everyone watched Doctor Who. It didn't matter who you were and you could talk about mm. it. Whereas I remember when Matt Smith came in and I conveniently enough went to secondary school then, like some people still, you either carried on watching it or people just stopped because as you said, they mm. couldn't, not necessarily because of David Tennant, but because obviously in Stephen Moffat's time, there was less of like, the Doctor, say, falls in love with a companion. It's back to, you know, he has companions. You might mm. fall in love with other humans, but it's not the Doctor and the companion sort of thing. I think when that element was retracted a bit and things went different, people shut off. Because I think, as you say, yeah. they, they, those who were brand new to Doctor Who, like didn't know the classic series, were brand new to it, thought, right, Doctor Who is a show about a guy who every now and then has a companion who he kind of maybe has a thing with, mm. and then they mm. leave. And I think when Matt Smith came along and it's like, oh, wait, his companion is marrying another human. And then it's like, oh, Clara, they're sort of flirty, but they're not really a thing. Mm, Do you know what I mean? Mm. I think that's where a lot of people yeah. switched off because, like you say, their perception of what Doctor Who was wasn't there anymore. Well, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of um, quote-unquote gatekeeping generally, and it isn't just amongst people who are like old-school fans who you know, know everything like me or something. It's, it's, uh, it's people that have come and they've got a sense of what the show is, and then they then say to everyone what they say the show is, and yet these people have different ideas of what the show is, and they're kind of all right and wrong at the same time because it, it the one of the unique aspects of the program is there is many different kinds of shows, and some of those elements will be more popular with a mass audience than others. And obviously, as a program makers, the BBC have to make something that will appeal to the widest demographic and all that nonsense. But I think that uh, the central core of Doctor Who remains. And for me, that's the thing that, that I enjoy. And so I can, like I say before, when I was a fan in the wilderness era, I was looking at arguably very different eras of Doctor Who on a daily basis. You know, if you compare the Sylvester McCoy era, say, with the sort of Graham Williams, Tom Baker era, those are very different programmes to some extent. The core, the characters, the iconography is there, but they're very different programmes, and it's just the same now. So I think there are always going to be people who... I just wish people would say, look, I'm a fan of this era, that's what I like about it, and I don't like this, rather than going, it's ruined, I hate it, it's terrible, fire them all, I want it back the way. You know, these these yeah. ideas of bring back David Tennant, it's like, it doesn't work like that, sorry. Yeah. It doesn't mean that any of that is gone, though. You know, it's like anyone who throws their toys out of the pram when when uh, they, they remake something or they change it, that stuff is still there, it's not going anywhere. And the yeah. thing is, unfortunately, we don't have a time machine and we can't go back in time and do the same thing with the same people. So, yeah. you know, things have to develop and change. If not, they stagnate and then they get forgotten about you know if we if it yeah. was up to series 13 with david tennant doing the same thing every year it would have been cancelled long before now and no one would be watching you know he Absolutely. did the right thing of saying you know this is the time when i should leave uh and that's unfortunate but that's part of life really isn't no, it? that's you know, it and you again can't from... always capture lightning yeah. in a bottle twice 
No, and again, as from an acting perspective, he wanted to do other things. And I think Peter Capaldi, you know, same. I think they've all said it to some degree, you know, when they've asked. It's like, oh, well, I want to do other things because I think, you know, we've also got to remember these guys. Like some of them have been fans as a kid, like David Tennant and stuff. But it's like just because they enjoy the show doesn't mean once they've got it, they're like, right, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Well, I think and also so. when you're when you're in it, yeah, it's uh, it's a very different thing. Oh, you know, I yeah. did wonder the other day when I was editing whether David Tennant can still watch doctor who as he would have done beforehand yeah uh having been the doctor and i don't just mean enjoy i'm sure he does watch it and enjoy it but i mean does he still feel about the program in the same way now that he has been a part of it you know uh, yeah. uh it, i think the only the only real doctor who really disappeared into the role is arguably of course tom baker and you know as much as i love the tom baker i felt and he's felt and other people have said many times that he should have left earlier but for him it was kind of uh, an all-consuming thing he was that character uh inside and out the studio um and he got lost in that role and Mm. he he was the doctor you know and so it was very difficult for him to 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 give up on that and i think his last few seasons suffered as a result of his sort of disappearing and blurring of reality to some extent Um, yeah because i think there's certain moments in particularly seasons 17 and 18 where you can sort of tell what's a tom bakerism if you like not not always necessarily to his detriment but there's just certain things he does or says where you're like tom baker definitely either ad-libbed that or added that in the script and yeah, it's a it's a fine line, isn't it? Because of course, in any production, it really you know, ideally, an actor should obviously have their own ideas about the character and the part. But ultimately, you're at the behest of your uh, director or producer. Mm. And if you know, it's it's always that fine. Even now, you see it in the industry. People, I, I've been in rehearsal rooms where you know someone's had a certain idea about their character and. The director's gone, no, 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 try it like this. And they've been very staunch about it and gone, no, but Mm. I think the character should be like... And then it's that question, isn't it? Where's the line? Where's the compromise? Mm. Who holds the most share in the power, so to speak? Well, I think think in the days of Tom Baker, it was very much who could swear the loudest and who could share the loudest. (laughs) I think he met his match in that respect with John Nathan Turner. Yeah. Um, But he very much got his own way a lot. And you can see that, can't you, in behind-the-scenes footage and things that get sort of get out there somehow never officially released as such of tom baker swearing (laughs) his head off about teacups and things um but yeah he got sort of proprietorial i think hartnell was the same as well um and he again you could say he was in that character but i think that significant for tom baker for his career because after that he struggled for a very long time to to sort of i don't think he necessarily wanted to distance himself from the part but he struggled to play a part or be offered a part that would be in some way not that version of tom baker in doctor who um yeah until... it's that it's that thing actors struggle with in it once you've done especially with a part like that it's like you almost want to say to people or prove to people i can be other things besides doctor who mm. and it's you could argue it still happens even now i think actually all of the recent doctors have been quite good at getting other jobs and other work but you know, let's face it, when people say David Tennant, nine out of ten will go, oh yeah, he was he was Doctor Who. And same yeah, with probably yeah. Matt Smith, and he'll, he'll always be Doctor Who first. And even though they've all yeah. done incredible work before and after Doctor Who, it's that, as you say, it's that sort of all-consuming nature of it, that once you are one, you will always be remembered for being yeah. 
Doctor yeah, Who definitely. first, yeah. yeah. And I think yeah. that, that they're fine with that as long as it's not the only thing they're remembered for necessarily. <laughs> Although I think Tom Baker has come to terms with that in his in an interview. I actually put part of it in my my video. He said you, the interviewer was asking, "Would you mind being?" Don't don't you want to be remembered for things other than Doctor Who? And he said, "No, um, I'm happy with that um, because he was the Doctor. So I think that's it. Wasn't him playing a part that he it was that that he's he's more than just the performance there. But I think that uh, yeah, the the Doctors, the actors who've played the Doctor have made um, good decisions to move on when when they do. Even though we sometimes might want to see more of them, I think that it's uh, it's a uh, it's a mistake that a fan might make to, and I'm very entitled to expect these professionals to do things at your own behest. It's that kind of entitled proprietorial nature that a lot of fans have. Um, uh, and, and people get very vociferously angry when people divert from what they think is the way things should be done. I'm thinking, well, you know, it is the old argument, you know, well, if you could do it better, go and do it. I mean, that's what Russell T. Davis did. You know, I mean, he says, you know, I love Doctor Who. I love all of Doctor Who. He said all those PR things. But reading between the lines, I think Russell T. Davis is one of those people who really disliked a lot of 80s Doctor Who. Um, and he wouldn't badmouth it now. And I think he does see the, the value of it. But, you know, doing a lot of research for, for my videos, looking back at things that, that he said and talked about, I think that he was... There was generally an attitude amongst a lot of fans. You can see it in the uh, back in the 40th anniversary. There was a, a Doctor Who night on BBC Two, uh, and uh, Mark Gatiss and David Walliams did these sketches. I don't yes, know if you've seen I've them. I've seen but... them, yeah. <laughs> and there was a joke in the in the first one where it's the joke where uh, I don't know who's supposed to be someone like Anthony Cobon or someone comes in and he pitches the whole 30, 25 years of Doctor Who in one go and there's a bit where he says well who are we going to get for the doctors and he he names them and then he says what about when we get to the 1980s and he says oh anyone with an equity card basically and they had to cut that bit out because people like peter davis and colin bear got quite offended by that in fact the, the language was a lot harsher which i was surprised was on bbc2 even in those days um uh but there was that attitude that doctor who just went off the rails in the 80s and it's since enjoyed this revival because the people who watched it when they were kids have grown up and now they see those things as great and there will be people who are growing up with the Jodie Whittaker era or look back and see it as nothing different from the other eras which is part of that whole thing I think it's very uh, fashionable seems a little bit perhaps too negative towards people but it, it it's very, very common to people to dislike what they've got when they've got it and only miss it when it's gone, you know? I mean, these are very cliched statements, but I think it's true and people forget. I mean, I do sometimes like to have a bit of a, a joke in my videos to kind of confront that, maybe not as explicitly as, as people expect, but when Patrick Troughton was cast, I, in my video I had a bit about the responses to Patrick Troughton in his first episode and everyone saying, he's not the Doctor, he's just a clown, not going to watch it ever again, it's been ruined. And in my research I just found these really funny because it was so parallel to what had happened more recently. 
Uh, and then I had uh, when I looked at uh, Tom Baker as well. You know, two Doctors, Troughton and Baker, are seen as definitive incarnations of, of Doctor Who. You're just very inarguably like greats usually, and both of them had very negative responses at the time. And then uh, in my David Tennant one currently. Um, I came across a, an interview with David Tennant where he was talking about how when he was cast, and obviously his casting was leaked, uh, he went on Outpost Gallifrey as a fan just to see what people were saying. And there was a whole list of people saying, I, th- that's it, Doctor Who's dead. I'm never watching oh, again. God. How can a guy who looks like a weasel play the Doctor? I'm not going to watch this. <laughs> and he said, right, I'm not going to use social media anymore. So it's it's a tale as old as time, basically. Yeah, I'm not saying yeah. that these people's opinions don't count. Mm. I'm just saying... Or it's like that the ones who aren't repeat, just don't they? Yeah, you know, yeah. it's not unusual. And just because some people have said they don't like this doesn't mean everyone thinks that. Yeah, you know, and um, that's and that's the problem. Like again, going back to like the rating side of things, it saddened me a bit to see when they released, you know, the overnight figures for Evolution, which was something like four point six nine million, which in mm. today's standards is very respectable considering the most well, it was the second most watched program on on new year's day i think wasn't it exactly yeah but it's sad to me you still had various people whether it be on social media or youtube come out and say look it's the it's the worst rating since whenever it was and it's the worst festive yeah. but they don't talk about oh but but look how all this, there's this competition look how natural tv viewing has been down this year look at christmas yeah. look at Oh, but yeah. what about the catch-up? They don't do that. They just go with the yeah. look at the initial thing and, like, you know, it's as well, you I say. Well, I think it's... there's an aspect as well is sometimes there's a there's a there's an ignorance of those contextual factors. There's an element sometimes of people who are used to seeing viewing figures for American programs in yes. America, yeah, where there's 300 million people or whatever <laughs> exactly, it is yeah. compared to the 60 or so that we have in in the UK, um, and there's also that general trend especially in social media where people like to they they form an opinion before they look at the facts and then they only pick the facts to support their own opinion and i you know i think that's uh, i mean we all do that to some extent we're all biased to our own opinions and things like that and we gravitate more to the things that support us but uh, yeah there's that i try to be objective in in my reviews um but not so objective that there's a complete sense of me being just presenting information. I do think part of the point is YouTube, after all, that there is an element of me in there, um, and an element element of editorialising and things like that. But uh, at the same time, I think that uh, you know there's 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 a there's a niche there, and there still is for for channels that are looking at it more objectively and presenting information a bit more objectively. Just in general, everyone feels like they have to pick a side. I mean, this idea of there being a central opinion doesn't seem to be acknowledged a lot <laughs> anymore. No, I mean, my my stance has all ever since I sort of got into really using social media to like you know engage in fandoms like Doctor Who. My opinion's always been, you know, I'll have what I think. And you might dis, you know, I could say the twin dilemma is the best story ever, and you could be like, "No, it's not. It's really, but I think it's bad." But I'll end it by going, "Okay, you don't enjoy it, fair enough." But I really do. And if you're like, "Yeah, fair enough," it, you know, in an ideal, mm. nice, cozy world, that's what all debate should be. It's like here's yeah, two differing yeah. opinions. We don't agree, but we respect it. Whereas I think too often not. It's when it gets personal and when it gets nasty is where I'm like, "This is not." Well, what, people jump you know. to the old ad hominem attacks. 
yeah pretty or it's like oh look at quite... you like you're you're are you just a teenager you don't know anything it's like well yeah. that ju- that's got nothing to do with the argument yeah. so yeah 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 no i i do encounter it's mercifully few times on my channel where someone has i've responded and got into a discussion uh with someone who um is like that um i do get like any channel that has oh yeah they're always amount of views you're going to get people who troll and things like that and it's knowing when to engage and discuss with someone and when it's not um uh but uh generally i think people appreciate that um the way that i present the information is informative um but not completely biased one way or another so some people have come on and thrown out the usual buzzwords at me sjw and and all this kind of thing you know the old and it's like i mean if we're going to look at the literal meaning of social justice warrior surely that describes the doctor and doctor who so if you don't agree with social justice you're not really watching the right program Um, exactly yeah but uh you know it's uh you know, and sometimes, I, you know, people get triggered by words. I mean, I use the word patriarchy in my Patrick Troughton video, which, you know, has a meaning in of it of itself. I wasn't aware at the time how much of an association with extremist, or what have been argued to me as extremist left viewpoints have. And people hear that word and go dislike and whatever. It's like, well, you, you know, if you're the kind of person that can't actually listen to the words around that, and, and contextualize it like we've been talking about then i'm not necessarily going to be able to get through to you anyway you know but uh it all comes back to what we're saying isn't it always about context and just or reading yeah. beneath what the surface level thing is or like you say reading mm. around it it's just i mean obviously like you know we, we talk about the ideal way things should be inside if there was a magic wand we could wave and all social media would be nice and <laughs> formative mm. that would be great but I think in a way, like, especially now with how prevalent things like Twitter are and stuff, I think we have to accept to some degree there will always be those people who will just go on surface oh, yeah. level, use buzzwords. Go, But I think it's about, I think for us, because, you know, sometimes I've read things where I'm sure you're a lot more controlled, I'm sure, than I am. But, you know, sometimes you'll read things that are looking to provoke a reaction. And, you know, yeah. naturally, when you read it, you feel it inside of you. You want to just, mm. like, write back and respond. But it's about, as you say, knowing when to engage and thinking, if I do this am I sort of stooping to that level or am I actually going to come back with a real, you know, a critical response here? Yeah, I think that gets to the core of a big debate generally globally now, especially, you know, in this last few months of this idea of uh, freedom of speech is not necessarily freedom to be heard or listened to. Do you know what I mean? Uh, or, Or be engaged with just because you have an opinion doesn't mean I have to listen to you express it if I find it offensive or, or, unfounded uh you know it is a fine line you know uh between wanting to discuss something or someone i think also there's a benefit for my wife sometimes says because i have in the in the past engaged in discussions with people and she says well why do you bother you know you're not going to convince them and i said well maybe not maybe i won't convince them um there have been times i've been very proud to say where i've answered back to someone who started it off with quite a, a an argumentative thing and have said oh, okay i hear what you say maybe i'll look back at that again and i've been quite pleased with that but i say that sometimes there's a by not stooping to their level in the way that i might argue back with them but by discussing and modeling a way it's not so much for the person i'm responding to but other people who might be scrolling through the comments who will see that and and respect the way that i've gone about it um 
So it's more for other people's benefit to some extent. But I think at the end of the day, you're looking at a subset of a subset of a subset. You're only going to get a certain subset of people who are actually watching YouTube and watching a video. You're then only going to get a certain subset of those people that might like and dislike. And you're definitely only going to get a tiny subset of people who are actually going to comment one way or the other on the video. And then there's only a very small subset of people who are actually going to read comments. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it can be misleading um, when you do get, you, you know, look at something on social media and you get all these comments, whether they're negative or positive, and you think that's what people think. But really, you're looking at less than 1% of everyone who's actually read or watched or, or anything. So it can be very misleading. And, and I take, uh, you know, I take pleasure in the fact that there's and reassurance in the fact that that is not a representative sample. It's like when people say, oh, 200 people complained to the BBC over this. And it's like, so? I mean, who, out of the people who complained... You know, all the people who were offended, only this tiny group of people might have offended about something. And, uh, you know, that shouldn't necessarily indicate some mass general attitude. Oh, know? no, no, of course. Yeah. It's, as you say, it's all, these are all the, like, the little... It's who can shout things. the loudest, I think. It's back to Tom Baker swearing the loudest in the studio. So. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I've actually got uh, one or two questions from Twitter. This is something new okay. I'm just trying, trying to gauge, you know, <laughs> if people want to ask my guests things. So uh, the first one is from Josh Carr, who is a friend of the show, and he's the host of the Who Knew podcast, which for anyone who hasn't right, listened, yeah. go and listen to that. It's a great Doctor Who podcast. He has some great guests on there. And Josh wants to ask you, um, once you've completed your Frankly Fantastic, in brackets it says, Doctor Who <laughs> Review documentary series, would you be interested in exploring any more shows or films using the same format, or are there further Doctor Who topics you'd like to explore deeper? I like the alliteration on Frankly Fantastic as well. <laughs> he's, um, he's a good word, yeah, Josh. I, <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. I mean, that was the reason why I called my... I don't, but Incidentally, I don't like being called Dick... But um, I didn't want to call it clever. I don't like to be called Rick even less. That's and fair, I felt that's the, fair. The, the, the clever dick film. I mean, it makes sense because I'm sort of trying to be somewhat self-derogatory <laughs> at the same time. Um, but I called it that rather than Doctor Who reviews because I intended from the beginning to do things about other subjects as well. Um, uh, I know that obviously the, the my subscriber audience are primarily there for those Doctor Who review and analysis, but I'm, I'm hopeful at some point to, to branch out a little bit. Um, I did do a little bit of the uh, doing an audio book that was really just sort of experimenting with sound effects, um, seeing if I could do that. Uh, obviously, that's Doctor Who related as well. But yeah, definitely at some point, I'd like to do some other shows um, uh, and also some other projects, really. Uh, one of... Uh, one of the things I'd like to look at, perhaps, is something like Battlestar Galactica, the the remake of the show, because that's another favourite program of mine. Uh, and I don't think there's, it's you know, it's generally uh, held up as as a you know a seminal program for a lot of people. Um, but there's there's not the same. There's not very much about it. I don't think you know it's not really in the zeitgeist anymore. Um, so I'd like to do something like that. I don't know how practicable that will be, um, uh, but but we'll see, because there's less information really necessarily available. One of the benefits of Doctor Who is there's such a, a wealth of information that I've already got that I can draw from. Um, I'd also like to perhaps do something a bit more... Uh, 
individual sort of a production of my own at some point. I'd like to do some documentaries perhaps about some historical subjects. One of the periods of history, another thing that was uh, inspired by Doctor Who that I'm particularly fascinated by is Victorian London and the East End of London, specifically the Whitechapel murders and the social history around Jack the Ripper and all that kind of thing. So I'd like to do uh, a programme at some point um, that talks about all those things that, again, isn't... The problem with Jack the Ripper is that so many people jump on that bandwagon and go, Here, here's the, the theory of who it was, and and they want to make money out of that kind of thing. And, and I want to do something that's more... Again, a bit like Doctor Who review analysis of, you know, this is a fascinating period of history. One of the benefits of these horrible uh, murders is that historically, because of the interest on that, we've learned so much and it's so easily accessible to learn about how people actually lived back then. Real people, not kings and queens, uh, but how real people lived and the kind of social inequality and the... And the uh, just the deprivation that people lived in. It's not exactly a cheery topic, but it would be something I'd be interested in doing at some point and really just seeing if I could do, you know, an actual documentary with filmed material. And um, I'd like to to create uh, in, in computer-generated uh, what the streets would be like and everything. It's kind of like what I've been doing. My background here is a, a TARDIS that I built over the last couple of years. That That's for a video as well that I um I'm still working on that'll be a long way off uh where I talk about the TARDIS so I've done a couple of videos already as a kind of appendix videos to my main series about companions and on my Patreon page I'm sort of offering people the opportunity to vote for who they'd like to see next and it seems weird because people seem to be going for maybe it's just the the neat and tidy Doctor Who fans we need things in a certain order but the idea was that rather than doing it in the order in which they came I would do a one on what people would express an interest on so um I did Susan was my first one and then I offered all the classic companions to do for the second one but people picked Jamie and uh, <laughs> then I offered it all again and now the next one will be on the brigadier um so <laughs> It might end up being in order of when they came anyway, or at least the eras. But uh, yeah, so that's something I want to do the videos on the companions, which are similar to the main series, but shorter and about the actor who played them and Mm -hmm. uh, and their time on the show. Uh, And I'd also I also plan as well to do some on similar appendix videos, but about, say, like monsters and villains and uh at the Peter Cushing films, people always ask me, like, why aren't you talking about that? And I see that very much as a an addendum to main Doctor Who. So I do intend to do something about that at some point, just like little little bits. Yeah. But uh, yeah. in a... it is difficult because I obviously have to balance what I do with my job. Uh, recently, obviously, it's been quite difficult because um, I'm a being a teacher. I'm a key worker, so I'm still I'm not furloughed or anything like that. I don't have any time in fact we have to work much more because we have to do remote learning so yes, i have yeah. to use a lot of this stuff to you know arguably for a higher purpose you know? no no um, of course I've done yeah. students when they're at when they're 
obviously I'm an English teacher, so we have a lot of texts and books and novels and things that we, we study. And a lot of students are obviously going to struggle to access that when they're at home. They haven't got teachers to help them with the vocabulary if their reading age is low and stuff. And so I've been had to spend a lot of my time doing audio books uh, mm. to accompany them so kids have got because some parents won't have the time or necessarily the skill to to read with their kids so I thought that would be so sometimes you know these things take me away from doing some of my projects on my channel but I, I think people would generally understand those yeah. kinds of things well so again I, I have always that, ambitions yeah oh that's fantastic I mean I think again as we said near the start I think showing from how um, your videos have had you know the response they've had despite the long gaps between uploads i think people mm. are willing to wait for it because they know they're yeah. going to get something good and um, so josh if you're listening i hope that answers your question <laughs> so and, and again just for anyone who's listening go and check out the who knew podcast because it is fantastic it's on all the streaming sites spotify uh apple podcasts etc it's a cracking one and the other twitter question we had was from adam cronin who says, um, it's not a Doctor Who question, surprisingly, or I guess it could be, you okay. can tie it in. It says, um, <laughs> do you think television shows like Strictly Come Dancing have adapted well to the pandemic or not? So I guess you could work Doctor Who in there because it is filming. So Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I don't watch Strictly Come Dancing. I'm not much of a light entertainment sort of fan. Uh, or, or those kinds of shows. So I, I can't really comment on those. I know there's a lot of physical interaction there, but I know that... Um, it's this idea of having bubbles of, of actors that, or, or contestants or whatever. They'll be together, uh, and so they won't break that bubble kind of thing. I think that's that's quite a an interesting sort of way of doing it. I mean, I know it's a lot harder. I mean, the new series of Doctor Who will be eight episodes instead of ten because of the, the logistics of filming under those conditions. I think it's kind of admirable. I mean, you know, we need entertainment. We need... Uh, escapism we need those things and the ways that they've and also the people in that industry they need that work having balked at the uh at the the, the kind of the the aspiration to work in the industry i know how sort of difficult it can be to not only find work but to keep work and to pay the bills and all those kinds of things and these people you know they need to work as well so finding ways to do it and to to do it safely for the people that work under it i think is good i mean i did recently i can't i can't go into too much details about this but i did recently go to a film studio okay. uh, for a television program on which i featured which i can't talk too much about <laughs> okay. at the moment it's nothing massive and it's nothing to do well it's sort of to do with doctor who we'll, oh. you'll find out shortly um and I was very impressed by the number of it was the number of things that we had to go through in order to to make sure everything was safe. You know, mm -hmm. they would uh, uh, and and all the all the all the uh, procedures and policies and, and ways of trying to maintain it. I think that it, it is interesting, and it's uh, you know it does affect somewhat the output. Um, yes, yeah, but. You know, it is. I think that people have done very well. I think a lot of people have adapted miraculously well, fantastically well. You know, putting aside any argument about how governments or, or anyone has gone about it, just the way that people have coped and managed and the ways that people have gone about it. I'm really, really proud of how, for example, the school that I work for and my colleagues have 
you know, really embraced the technology and the forms to, to, to deliver education and to do that for young people. You know, the kids aren't forgotten about. People mm-hmm. are working so hard. I think that's something that's really uh, fantastic. It embodies the values of things like Doctor Who, where people do all pull together and not everyone, obviously, but the vast majority of people pull together and, and do it because they care about whatever it is, whatever service that they're delivering. You know, uh, whether it's someone in a supermarket working, you know, late and, uh, in, and you know, that's a dangerous thing. You're seeing all members of society, some who are safe and some who aren't necessarily taking their safety yeah. and the safety of others as as seriously. But they do. They're providing that service. And, the you know, it, you know, it, and television, people who work on television are part of that. So I think they have I think they have adapted really, really well. I think it's really um, it's admirable because. Yeah. It's not just a cynical, oh, we need to earn money. It's it's providing more than that. We need those things. I mean, can you imagine what lockdown would have been like if people couldn't watch Tiger King or something? At oh, the start of it? You know, yeah, everyone was exactly. logging on and everyone <laughs> yeah. was... And there was this shared sense of... of uh, there's this shared sense of it. I think one of the things about this whole situation has made people realise is that... Oh my god, I'm going to sound like Madonna now. I hope I don't. But <laughs> a lot of people are in it together. You know, we're not yeah. all suffering the same. People are suffering far worse than others, obviously. Uh, and some have massive mansions and swimming and swimming pools and bathtubs full of flowers and all that, and want to make yeah. out that their lives as hard as anyone else. My life is nowhere near as hard as other people at all. And I'm very lucky to have the job that I do and been able to work through this period. But uh, we have all experienced these things and you know uh seeing television carry on i mean you won't notice it so much in drama television but in things like quiz shows and and all those kinds of things i think people have really appreciated that those programs are still being made you know they still get to watch master chef and they still get to watch yeah. bake off and strictly yeah. it it brings us it allows people to cope with things so yeah um i, I can't necessarily comment on how well I've made they produced the products that they're setting out to do, but I certainly think it's quite admirable how they've adapted to cope with these things. Yeah, I yeah. mean the fact you know again, as you said, the fact that they're they're making anything at all in these conditions is remarkable. Like, I remember when when the photo leaked of them filming Doctor Who again, I was like, I was amazed because I thought, oh, I yeah. thought they were going to wait till this you know, blew over for the most part because of logistics. But, you know, it's like, no, there's Jodie Whittaker and Mandip Gill filming mm. a scene outside the TARDIS and they're, they're doing it. And, you know. And there was that photo of Mandip as well with the, the swab up her nose and the back of her mouth. <laughs> yes, I, yeah. Fortunately, I haven't had to experience that yet, although my wife did when she had some symptoms. Fortunately, she didn't have it in the end, but we had to go to a test centre she had yeah. to administer it and it's not a pleasant it's not a pleasant thing i mean there's worse things to do in life but it's not a pleasant thing so that you know these people are oh no it sounds really pretentious but they are suffering for their art you know they're still willing they could just go no i i won't bother you know uh, and people haven't people have stepped up and people are still doing it you know and uh so you know that's quite an admirable thing no, they're going a long way so there you go adam that's your question answered brilliant so 
Um, to, I guess to wrap things up, I had a few questions for you myself. Um, these are things I'm going to try and introduce into mm-hmm. the show more often. But I've I've called this one rather rather cleverly my first, my last, and my everything. To quote the great Barry White, um, that being um, uh, so, this will be three Doctor Who stories. So to start with, your first. What was your first Doctor Who story? Oh god, that's very difficult to answer um, because. <laughs> I don't remember watching Doctor Who. I don't remember. There wasn't a moment. I, I was not as lucky as yourself to have discovered it at a certain age. I, it was something that was around. I was born in 1984. So uh, I I was uh, I was very young when it went off the air originally. I don't remember ever watching it sort of uh, live, so to speak. Although I do have a vague memory of a Dalek near a brick wall like a brown brick wall and so in my mind I sort of rather excitedly leapt on I went maybe that was Remembrance of the Daleks and I saw it when it went out um I don't think that's true though I think it's one of those constructed memories that people make in the their memory brains. cheats um, as J&T says yeah. yeah exactly so I think that you know it may have been that probably the the first Doctor Who stories that I really saw properly uh, were during the repeat season so there were some stories shown between about 1990 and 1993 with the 30th anniversary there are different stories so it probably would have been something like battlefield or planet of the daleks Ooh. or something yeah. like that would probably have been the first one that i saw i'd say nice. the first Too one great. i ever got on video was the five doctors nice uh, bought good that from choice. woolworths good choice because I said to my dad, I, I want to get some Doctor Who, I want to watch some Doctor Who, and you, we didn't have, you couldn't just, you know, turn on the internet, we didn't have the internet, oh, so, yeah. you know, uh, so uh, we went to Woolworths, so that's another blast from the past, and <laughs> dad said, well, there were a few on sale, and my dad said, well, why not get this one, it's got all of them in, and it didn't actually have all of them in, but, you know, he said, you get five Doctors for the price of one, so that was, yeah. uh, that was the first one I got, so... I love how that tactic still works. Oh well, there's five of them in it. That means it must be <laughs> the best one ever. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's that's fab. That I, again, I like that that you've you know that it's different to as you say. Even though you don't have the exact remembrance of what it was, it could be a bunch of potential things, which I think is even more interesting. Um, well, yeah, on... but then sometimes I kind of regret that I didn't have that moment. It's a bit like I don't remember the first time I watched Star Wars or something like that. You know, it was on at Christmas time, Boxing Day. Empire Strikes Back was always seen. Um, so, you know, it's so long ago for me that there was never that moment where I discovered it. Uh, yeah. You know. Oh, man. But, um, so then there's my last. So this is what is the most recent, as in not in terms of date, just in general. What's the last Doctor Who story you watched? That could be Revolution as it went out, or have you watched anything oh, see, since yeah. then? Or, uh, let me think. I've been watching bits of Doctor Who and lots of bits of the David Tennant era because I've been capturing them for my video Mm. Uh, the last full story I watched all the way through would have been Revolution of the Daleks yeah Uh, although I have got I'm still working my way through Power of the Daleks the new animated release downstairs uh, but I haven't had much time to really sit and watch stuff because when I get home from work, I I make di- I make dinner in our house, um, so I make the dinner, we have dinner, I walk the dog, and then I come up here and and work on my David Tennant video. So <clears throat> I haven't really watched any TV since New Year's Day, I'd say. That's fair. Um, oh, you don't stop so, by yeah, the Revolution of the Darts so... would be my last one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fab. Okay, so we have got first and last, and my everything is what is the and I think you might have mentioned it earlier in passing, but. My everything is, if, you know, you were told all those DVDs on your collection, they've all got to go bar one. What's the one story that is your everything, so to speak? 
Well, I always say that my my favourite Doctor Who story is Remembrance of the Daleks. Um, and there's several reasons for that. It was one of the first ones I ever got on video, as I mentioned earlier. It is of the era that was on when I was little. So, you know, before the Paul McGann movie, even in the wilderness years, Sylvester McCoy was the current Doctor. So if he's as close as it would come to my Doctor. You know, everyone always says you're my Doctor. He's probably the closest to it from that age. Um, it's, it's got the Daleks in, who I have always enjoyed. It's one of the few Dalek stories that really, I think, delves into the point of the Daleks as kind of allegorical what they stand for and what the issue is i know sometimes people feel it's a little bit heavy-handed with its uh sort of social commentary but uh, i i like that you get a sense when you watch that so i think it's probably the first story that i ever encountered which had a that i was aware that there was a point being made in it you know where you can watch something or read a book and you know that uh there's a there's a there's a not necessarily a kind of polemical argument being put forward, but there's it's dealing with issues and themes. Uh, and obviously there's lots of Doctor Who from prior to that that dealt with issues and themes, but that was the first one for me. So it holds that sort of special place where I felt this is about something. You know, it's about yeah. religious in, uh, racial intolerance. It's about uh, war. It's about growing up. And it also has this sort of tantalising sort of continuity of, the Hand of Omega and what the Doctor is and the mystery of that. I think it's probably Sylvester McCoy's best performance. Uh, it, it's it, it's a really tightly written story and I actually think that from a visual point of view as well, it, it, it stands up really well. I mean, like the, 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 the Dalek space shuttle landing in yeah, the playground, yeah. although when I got the DVD I could finally see the, the, <laughs> the, the strings that it was attached yeah. to. I couldn't see that on the video version. But, you know, it landing and blowing in the windows in. And it also has that kind of sense of celebration because it was of that 25th anniversary year. I think it's it's a better 25th anniversary story than Silver Nemesis, which is essentially just a rehash of the same story. Um, because, you know, you've got, oh, yeah, okay, you know, like the gates aren't right. I am form and gates are spelt wrong and the junkyard doesn't look the same. The book that Ace picks up, which is the one that Susan left, is black instead of white. And, you know, there's little things like that. But I really appreciate the little continuity references there. And they're not integral to the story. Like It's not like Attack of the Cybermen where you have to have watched 25 years of Doctor Who, which at that time didn't even exist, to actually understand what was going on. so yeah, I, I'd probably. I mean, it's very difficult because I do love. I love all of Doctor Who. I love all the eras of Doctor Who um, in different ways. Um, I have plenty of favourite stories, but if I had to choose one, it would probably be that. A solid choice. Absolutely. The only thing that makes <laughs> me laugh in Remembrance unintentionally it's that, and I never forget it. It's that one scene where the Renegade Daleks leave the uh, the Ratcliffe place to go and fight the Imperials. And it's that oh, yeah. shot of them in a line on the pavement, but they're wobbling so much. Yeah, and I, yeah, I know true. again it's terrain yeah. and production, but you watch yeah, it. They do look very flimsy, don't they? You, you feel you you feel your lips like curling into a smile because these meant to be these like death machines and they're just like yeah. shaking from side <laughs> to side. Well, I think part of the reason for that was because for that story they, they were filming Daleks on location for the first time in, in quite a while. Uh and so instead of the usual casters that they had 
uh, in their skirt. They had those big, you sometimes see them on wheelbarrows and they're sort of a big orange ball instead of a wheel. Yes, and they sort of yeah. had that underneath. So they were far more difficult to get them going. I think the people inside them actually had to sort of do that. So yeah, there was that unfortunate side effect. Also the stairs when when the, the, the child, Dalek uh, controller child comes in, she uses her electricity and she zaps Mike and he falls back. And uh, the stairs that are there kind of shift back very visibly. Mm. So it's not a very stable stable house. Um, but yeah, there's a couple of bits like that. But uh, yeah, I, that's that's what I choose. I think still. No, that's a. I mean, again, as I say, it's a solid, solid choice. And uh, the the <laughs> last two questions I wanted to ask, just to sort of round things off. And again, I think mm-hmm. it's something you sort of touched upon earlier, but it could be a different thing to what I'm thinking of. And that is, um, as we said, Doctor Who fandom can be quite opinionated on what stories are good and bad. So is there like that one story where, say, the fandom is like, this is terrible, but you're like, I actually really mm. love it? Well, yeah, I think I think the visitation yeah. uh, is one that people... I don't think people think it's bad, mm. but it's kind of overlooked a lot. And, and I've yeah. always just really enjoyed that, partly because when I was little, um, I was kind of fascinated by the plague, the Great Plague and things like that. And uh, yeah, that sort of historical period is something that really interests me. Um, it's interesting that uh, uh, we were saying about how opinion can be challenged and changed, that for a long time the War Games yes. was a story that was generally received as not very good, was over-bloated and over-long, and now it's sort of enjoyed a bit of a renaissance and people tend to enjoy it. So things shift and change. And uh, another one of those was Tomb of the Cybermen, before it was rediscovered yeah. in '92. It was sort of enshrined in lore as the most amazing story ever. <laughs> and then it was found and people went, oh, it's not quite that amazing. I mean, it is a great story, <laughs> yeah, but it's not yeah. quite as perfect as people had, had uh, imagined. Um, I don't know. I think, I think, I'm trying to think of a story that people generally hate that I like. Uh, I'm going to think uh, probably more of the modern era, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I really liked... The Witchfinders. Oh yeah. Uh yeah. with Jodie Whittaker from a couple of years ago. That one, again, I don't think it's that people really hate it, but it's generally overlooked. I think there's a really great it's a really great scene in that, which at the time I turned to my wife and I was like, Yes, that's the scene I've been waiting for. Where uh Jodie Whittaker is tied up yeah. and Prince the the king, sorry, is there, and she delivers a sort of a speech about about tolerance and and things like that and i thought that that's her moment after having so many years of capaldi doing fantastic speeches about rights and wrongs there was a moment where she got to do one as well and i felt that that was the moment without all the hangers without all the other characters and everyone else was just a moment where she got to kind of really say what she stood for and and everything and 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 show that strength so Yeah. yeah that'd probably be no, absolutely one of my favorites era. from that series as well the Witchfinders. i thought it was dead good but yeah. awesome and the last question is and it's one we've all thought about it at some point in our lives as doctor who fans which is if you had the keys to the show if you were in charge <laughs> what would you want to do with it is there anything like you know in terms of if there's anything like specific or even if it's just a general thing what would you do if you were in charge of doctor who well 
I wouldn't presume to to do anything that would necessarily be popular. I think a lot of people would say this is what needs to be done in order to make everyone enjoy it again. I wouldn't necessarily do that because I think a bit like with the, my YouTube videos, I make things that I would like and and hope that other people would enjoy them too. So I think that the decisions I would make if I was in charge of the program would reflect the kind of elements that I like about Doctor Who. Um, and so this wouldn't necessarily be changes I would make to the current iteration or anything, but things that if I was in charge, what would the show look like under mine? I think it would be, I like the kind of gothic fairy tale horror aspect that was in the Moffat era a lot. I like, um, you know, notions of the, the, the Vashta Narada and the Weeping Angel. I mean, the Weeping Angels as characters are, I think have kind of had their bit now really but just those notions that i like the kind of fairy tale fear element that moffat kind of used a lot um and the gothic horror elements that you got in the tom baker era certainly is philip hinchcliffe sort of era talents of wing chiang and things like that not with the racial stereotyping but you know just the notion of the of the uh of the i like a lot of i like historical stories i like his pseudo historical stories i tend not to enjoy the science fiction stories so much um and i found that kind of surprisingly really i sort of look back and i i think think about stories that the vast majority of ones i really enjoy that i would put on of an evening would be ones that tend to go back into the history of earth so i would probably have more historical stories and they wouldn't necessarily be uh the kind of thing that ever since Russell T Davis brought it back has been kind of de rigueur, which is the kind of celebrity historical story. Yes, you know, yeah. you have Charles Dickens, or you'll have, you know, but something of different periods. And I would perhaps try and reflect more on how attitudes in history have changed somewhat. Uh, I think sometimes there was a tendency, certainly under Russell T Davis, for history to this idea of they're just like us kind of thing everyone's just like us and i'd like to see more challenging of that and, and also just a again contextualizing certain historical uh, periods so yeah i would have the kind of doctor who that i really like would would be uh perhaps a bit uh a bit more frightening yeah and a bit more gothic mm-hmm. uh, but i don't necessarily think that's the way doctor who should be made because that would be making doctor who just for me and doctor <laughs> who isn't just for me it's for everyone so uh, it's again it's the know. fine line isn't it is in the program you want to make but then also is that going to appeal to all the people who watch Others, it isn't yeah. it yeah uh, and i think that the the show itself is best when it offers the widest group of people something to enjoy mm-hmm. uh, uh you know and i think that uh uh for me, I, I quite like the Doctor to be a character who's a little bit more... I, I prefer Doctors that... The, the People say to me, "What? who's your favourite Doctor? And I can't answer that because, as I said, I didn't really have a Doctor when I was younger, mm-hmm. so it's not easy for me to just pick. But I do have a type of Doctor that I prefer, which is the slightly more alien, slightly unpredictable, eccentric versions. Yeah. Uh, so Troughton, uh, McCoy, yeah. Matt Smith um a tom baker obviously those kinds of incarnations and less of the more human style doctor like peter davison or david tennant or to some extent jodie whittaker it's not that i don't like those doctors but i prefer the doctor to be a little bit more 
unpredictable and a little bit more uh, I quite like that idea of the Doctor being a character who kind of puts up a, a bit of an act yeah, and beneath it there's something darker mm. um, so that's why someone like Troughton who's this sort of buffoony clown when actually beneath there's kind of a darker more calculating side to it ever since i think that's exemplified particularly in power of the daleks his first story it's such a shame mm. that we can't see that because he's very much there even with his companions he's just sort of tricking them and leading them on yeah and you don't quite get a sense even by the end of that story that you've really seen who he is kind of thing yet so yeah. i quite i quite like that aspect that's probably who i would have I certainly wouldn't have me as the Doctor. Oh, People no. always go, what would you do as the Doctor? <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't like me if I was the Doctor, but I like a, I like a character who is um, a little bit more, uh, not necessarily angsty and, mm. and, and, and dark, but someone who's a little bit, you can't quite get a handle on, on yeah. the character. You can't pinpoint them 100% sort of thing. It's yeah. like it's forever shifting. The goalposts are always moving in that sense, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's dead cool. Well, there you go, folks. You've got an insight into how into how Richard would <laughs> would do it there. It's brilliant. But um no, that that's amazing. I think we'll we'll wrap things up there. But I mean, first of all, thank you again so much for coming on. This has been a great oh, chat and I know a lot of people were looking forward to this one um before you go <laughs> want to hear me waffling and end- endlessly i could you've got a very you've got a very natural voice to listen to so oh thank you um is there any of your um social medias or your channel if you want to shout anything out feel free well yeah i mean if you haven't if you haven't seen my my videos come on over to to my clever dick films youtube channel and i'm on facebook and recently on twitter joined twitter recently for just general updates mainly about about programs um i don't post endlessly but uh you know you might get a little insight a little extra uh you know easter egg and things and if you have enjoyed my content and you you know you want to uh get some access to maybe some little exclusive things you can always have a look at my patreon page uh, which again is clever dick films because on there i give the opportunity for people to vote in the in the companion series and things like that, so you can you can have a bit of an influence over what I do. Um, but yeah, I'm just sort of clever dick films everywhere, really. <laughs> Good yes, I joined Twitter that. recently because I did that phrase. I did the um, Jamie companion video, and someone very uh, very uh, graciously shared it with Fraser Hines, and he said, "Oh, it was great." So I thought, "Oh wow, oh well, that's lovely. I better <laughs> I better." But finally, uh, I did. I had actually joined Twitter years ago, and I never really used it. Um, uh, so I sort of went back to that chat, that that Twitter page, and sort of rebranded it as as Clever Dick Films. So it'll yeah. show that I've been on there for years, but I've only recently started <laughs> using it because I thought, well, you know, it would be lovely to to you know to to share something I've done with with any of the people because everyone seems to be on it these days. Um, so. Yeah, that was very nice. No, it's, that's fantastic. Well, there you go, guys. You heard it. Facebook, Twitter, Patreon, YouTube. Just search Clever Dick Films and Richard's work will surely come up. Fantastic. And for anyone listening, thank you very much. If you're watching this on YouTube, please feel free to leave it a like if you want. Let, let us know your comments down below, what you thought of the chat. Subscribe to the channel if you're brand new too. And so I know this is the rundown I've got to do. You know, right, I've got to say who's listening where and whatnot where. So if you're <laughs> if you're listening, just audio only, if you're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever it is, thank you for listening. Please consider giving us a follow and subscribe there. We'll have new episodes coming out every week for the foreseeable future with great guests like Richard here. 
And yeah, just keep up to date with everything we've got going on. So on that note, Richard, thank you very much again for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. No problem. And to all of you watching slash listening, I will catch you all next time.